listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Curious. Mischievous. Genuine. Ling Ling Huang started violin at the age of four with her mother. She continued studying violin with Fredel Lack until her admission to the Cleveland Institute of Music at the age of 15. There, while studying with Paul Cantor, she won the concerto competition and performed the Stravinsky Violin Concerto with the CIM Orchestra. Most recently, Miss Huang performed the Britain Violin Concerto with the Shepherd School Symphony as a result of winning the concerto competition in 2014 at Rice University's Shepherd School of Music, where she is continuing her studies with Paul Cantor in the Artist Diploma Program. Miss Huang is a current substitute violinist in the New York Philharmonic, the Houston Symphony, the Houston Grand Opera, and has been substitute concertmaster of the Houston Ballet Orchestra. In her free time, she enjoys writing on her website, linglinghuang.com. So thanks, Lingling, for doing this. Of course. Of course. It's my pleasure. So uh, I wanted to talk to you today about pretty much just being a musician. You're a violinist in the Houston area for at least mm-hmm. a few more days, right? And then where are you yeah. off to? <laughs> I think um, I haven't quite decided where I'm going to move yet, um, but, you know, either L.A. or New York. Okay. One, one of the uh, different cities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so somewhere yeah just just somewhere um and then also talk to you about your writing which uh we'll get to a little bit later but first I wanted to we met while we were uh, both at Rice uh University together you were doing a master's in violin performance and I was doing my doctorate there and then you have subsequently stayed to do an artist diploma which you just finished correct Correct. Yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thank um, you. So uh, I was looking at your at your website, and I kind of fo- followed some threads until I was at a video on YouTube where you were talking about Loop Thirty Eight. So can you tell us what Loop Thirty Eight is and how you're involved in it? Sure. Um, yeah. So Loop Thirty Eight is a new music ensemble that started this year in the Houston area, and it was started by a couple of friends of mine, Yvonne Chen, who um, is finishing her doctorate degree at Rice, and Jerry Ho, who's the assistant conductor for all, all of us at Rice. And um, they just they got a bunch of people who are really passionate about new music together, and they're um, they're really great at um, finding awesome venues um, to present some of these really cool new music works um, that a lot of which I hadn't heard of. I kind of invited myself to be in the ensemble, if I'm being totally honest. That's yeah, that's great. <laughs> I just I heard that they were starting it and I I called them immediately. Like I found out from someone that they had started it and I immediately called Jerry and I like met with him the next day. And so for the first concert, I wasn't playing cuz everything had already been assigned, um but I worked tickets and did anything I could with editing whatever they needed. Uh-huh. And then I played the um second and third concerts of the first season. And then what did you so, pl- what did you play in those concerts? Uh Saryaho Leek Bogan in the um James Rail Sky Space on campus. And then um our most recent huge project was um George Friedrich Haas's In Vain, which we did at Rothko Chapel. And that was amazing, amazing venue for an amazing piece. 
And I think I, I think I saw something about that. You, you posted about, about that piece in particular, the, uh, the Haas piece in vain. Like what was, what was so incredible about that piece for you? Right. Um, well, the fact that there are um, two sections in the piece where you're in utter darkness together, uh, it's really moving um, because you're just with these people. And uh, we only had one rehearsal where we didn't have the lights, uh, one run through. And I was surprised by how moved I was during that. You know, e even without um, in our previous rehearsals, we had the lights on and um, it's such a great piece, but you have this really primitive reaction when everything is dark and you have to rely on your, um, well, it turns out like faulty memory um, and just really this close, deep listening to everyone around you. And you have to be very reactive, uh, which we all hope to be as musicians, especially in kind of a chamber setting. But this really, um, I, you know, some of the words I remember thinking about was like urges because we have kind of an instrument that we shadow in the wind world. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as I heard the note that I was going to join, um, I had to react. And it was like I had this urge to to follow this instrument and to do what they did. It was I've never really felt like like someone's shadow before. And uh, I remember um, thinking a lot about the title and the existential quality of it. And so I reread Waiting for Godot and it, it has a very similar feeling of loneliness together. Um, mm, yeah. Yeah. So that's, it was that's a, really a very, great... I, I mean, that's, I, I feel like that's a uh, emotion that we're all feeling to some extent right now. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm feeling um, it particularly because uh, I'm, I mean, I'm, if my recording sounds a little bit echoey, it's because I'm in my very empty apartment um, right yeah. now in China. Like I, I'm in my last uh, couple weeks before I come back to the states, and my family is already is already back in the states. But I'm, you know, living living alone yet in a city of 11 million people, and it's like, you know, you're you're constantly surrounded, but you never you never have a connection. Yeah, it's. Um acute yeah i feel like we get that so much that is completely reflective of our like social media um yeah existence at this point as well it's kind of i mean it's it's really sad so when you have music that can really amplify that feeling because the thing about social media and a lot of you know you can go outside and walk around all these asian people i'm sure and mm -hmm. Um, ev everything can distract you from your loneliness a little bit. Um, but I feel like you have these important works of art that remind you how acutely lonely we all are. And mm -hmm. they're really important to kind of sit in and to figure out. To just kind of live yourself. with. Yeah. And that's yeah. a long piece, isn't it? That's Isn't that like an hour or so? Yeah, it's an hour. But I was doing um, Gertrude Damerung, so it felt like 20 minutes, <laughs> actually. Oh, this, the, uh, yeah, I'm just playing that little piece. Uh, it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. So, you know, you, t you said that as soon as you heard about Loop 38, you like, you went after it, you know? Yeah. You, so as a performer... Why did you have that kind of reaction to kind of go after this experience with new music? 
Well, um, I just, I love anything new and I especially love anything that's a combination of things I love. And I feel like especially with new music um, being composed today, there is a chance that it's going to incorporate a lot of other mediums. There's a chance it's going to speak. Um, you know, I think all music is relevant um, to to how we feel, but you know, music being written today is going to be especially relevant to the time that I'm living in right now. And so there's something about that immediacy of response and relatability that really attracts me. Um, and I just, uh, the idea of being, you know, with a group of like-minded people who are, uh, I mean, to do m new music, you have to be so open-minded. You have to be so like into exploring and mm -hmm. learning and curious. It's, it's a mindset that I am really addicted to. And, um, I think to be with a bunch of people who are like that, I mean, what could be better, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. It's like a, you know, the best kind of dysfunctional family really. <laughs> um, you in your in your video that I'm I keep citing you posted about your kind of early experiences with new music you know playing oh, yeah. playing pieces by Corigliano and Grise and Shevsky and yeah. I mean as a young performer who presumably I'm assuming that you played mostly classical and romantic repertoire up until these up until this point right yeah yeah, mm -hmm. so do you remember how those particular pieces affected you in the moment? Like, for instance, like you were saying with, with the Haas, you know, you had, a, uh, you had a reaction in the moment because of, because of playing it. So did you have similar kind of reactions or, or interesting experiences with, with those composers? Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, the very first thing I, I probably was exposed to was the Corgliano. And I thought that was really cool because it was so relevant to our um, social media and reality TV stuff, mm -hmm. um, which hadn't even really started at that point. But, you know, one of the movements is called like channel surfing. And it's just kind of the hyper ADD changing of music really quickly. And you know, it, it was a very like, oh, wow, that's such a direct, um, you know, kind of uh, commentary on s something that happens all the time now and something that's becoming part of our mindset. And um, so that was really amazing that there was um, a shotgun fired at the end. And oh I remember, s yeah, I remember people um, rushing out of the Benedict music tent in Aspen where it was in um, like wailing in tears. It was actually a really traumatic concert. Yeah. Um, and it was also, you know, it's like in the form of like a Catholic mass, it's like in Troit. And I just thought it was such a cool combination of things um, that I was really interested in. You know, it made all of these things really modern. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, um, so it was like, the first time I saw music as social commentary, really, um, the Grise was also in the dark and the performers were all around us. I was invited to um, or they needed someone to step in for a quartet premiere by Bob Becker. So I went to the Banff Percussion Festival, <laughs> which was just amazing. So that's where I heard all this crazy um, percussion music. And the Grise was... Um, 
Yeah, it, it had the music of this pulsar and it was so lonely. And I mean, I didn't know anyone at the concert. I always go to these concerts like by myself. Yeah. And um, so I was hearing this amazing pulsar from space and it was in the dark and I was surrounded by these, you know, percussionists who were playing. And I just remember being so moved and just frozen and I couldn't believe how, um, you know, like how historical a moment it was and how related I was to something out there in space um and you know I love I love a lot of space things like thinking about the golden record and Mm, um, Tina floating out there it was like a similar experience to when I first learned about that and then the Rajeski was like political it was the first time I was like this is um, music as um like very clearly political protest and I was taking um, documentary poetry either the semester before or after. And so I, I got like really into political art. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we're going to listen to two of um, two recordings that you have made pretty recently, right? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the first one, and I'm going to need your help pronouncing this composer's name. Uh, the okay. piece is called Lost Landscapes, and it was written in 2005 by the composer. I know Johanny Ratavara. Ex- that's exactly why I needed your help. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this is a piece that is for violin and piano. And um, in his kind of notes about it, he says uh, there are four landscapes that were important surroundings for for the composer when they were studying. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you talk about like, how did you find this work and what spoke to you about it? Well, I am just obsessed with Rautavara. <laughs> so okay. um, the way I found this piece, I mean, this is actually, you know, I love this piece and I loved working on it. And this is one of the performances that I was, I think most proud of this year. Um, but I, what I really love, I loved his violin concerto so much. And I, I played that um, for one of my Rice auditions, you know, our entrance mm-hmm. orchestra placement. Um, and he has two cello concerti. And I absolutely love the first one, which is um, less played. His seventh symphony. Um, I mean, I just love, and the work that I love the most is called True or False Unicorn. And <laughs> it's the only, because he's Finnish and he wrote, um, you know, he has an opera, I think, called The Mine. And it's in Finnish. Um, but True or False Unicorn is in English. And it's based on this text that I have been unable to locate. But it's basically about, like, what is art, you know? <laughs> and... This is maybe the dorkiest thing I've ever done, but I went to the Cloisters in New York and I went to see all the unicorn tapestries while listening to this piece. (laughs) And it was awesome. It's just um, like I remember listening to it for the first time because I I was geeking out and listening to everything he'd ever um, composed. And of course, if you have a piece with the word unicorn in it, I'm going to be very interested. So it's, you know, it's so beautiful and it's so quirky. Um, It's like 
kind of hymn-like, and then it's chant-like. It's um, it's got these really weird kind of percussive. I I just I remember like raving about it and being like, he's the heir to Stravinsky, and like. It's so neoclassical and like weird and um I just I was in love. It's such a complex like diverse piece. Um so I I always loved him and then they were programming for um Here and Now which is the new music uh concert series at Rice. Mm-hmm. And uh Jerry, um, the assistant conductor and the person who runs here now, knows about my obsession with Ratavar. And he asked if I wanted to do um, the Lost Landscapes. Uh, so I listened to them. I mean, I'm sure I said yes before listening to them. Cause right, I, yeah. Um, but I especially love them. They were really kind of challenging because it's like three slow movements, basically, and a, a last movement that's faster. But to try to get a different atmosphere to evoke a different place and nostalgic experience for three slow movements mm-hmm. back to back mm-hmm. was really interesting. And I don't know if I did a great job, but that was certainly the the most exciting and challenging part. Um, and, you know, slow movements are where it's at for me. It's like all all the color play um, and all the the you know imaginative stuff you can try to do with sound is is there so it was really fun and does and does that this is like concerto treatment kind of make its way into this piece lost landscapes this one i i feel like it's um i mean i think there are a lot of similarities to the violin concerto uh because of especially kind of the more watery textures but um there's something so intimate I mean there's something you know very spiritual I think about all of his music and he really he writes in a way where he kind of lets everything develop without thinking about it too much Mm -hmm. um I think I've read some interviews where he talks about like uh I don't think the exact words he used were like a life force but there's some kind of guide to what he's writing um and so I mean the the violin sonata the lost landscapes they're um I don't know. It, it's very organic, but it really feels like um, you're figuring it out as you're playing. Mm-hmm. And as a performer, that's especially the third landscape. I think it's the um, Vienna, the Wintergrass or something. Yeah. So the a four landscapes grass. are uh, Tanglewood and then uh, Escona, which is in Switzerland. And mm-hmm. then the... Uh, the third one is the his address when he was in Vienna. And the fourth one is called West 23rd Street, which was his address in New York. So they're all all places while he was that had an effect on him while he was studying or working or or whatever. And I was wondering, like, what would you, some of your lost landscapes be like places that oh. shaped you <laughs> as a musician or or even just. A, a, as a person oh man um my lost landscapes i definitely cleveland uh where i did seven years of school i started my undergrad there when i was 15 so i feel like i really grew up there um so yeah cleveland um i just i had you know the best and worst of my 
times there, I, <laughs> but I say that about everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, my first ever summer camp, um, Encore, I went to three times, and I remember the first summer being particularly magical. Um, and just actually, like, my first summers at Encore and Aspen were literally utopian. When I, when I look back <laughs> on it, I'm like, yeah, there was nothing wrong with any of those times. <laughs> Um, and Aspen, I just, I have some bike rides and some runs that I love so much. And I think the first time that I did those, it was really amazing. But in general, I'm someone who loves anywhere I am. Mm -hmm. So it's like recently I just, I did a, um, I guess two weeks in LA for this festival, Sunset Chamber Fest that a couple friends started and... I just had the best time of my life. <laughs> it was like, I live here now. I, I feel so great here. And before that, I was in New York and I was like, I love this. And Toronto, I was like, this is my city. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I feel good everywhere. Yeah, well, that's good. So now we're going to listen to your performance. Um, and this was in the last uh, last year at uh, recorded live at Rice. Um, so it's you and who was the pianist that was performing with you? Wesley Dakoti. So this is Ling Ling Huang and Wesley Dakoti performing Ainiohani Rotavera's Lost Landscapes.
let's talk about you as a writer now. Okay. So writing seems to be a huge part of your life. You know, you have your blog called Ling Things, which is a great name yeah. for a website. Um, oh, good. And, and your website is linglinghuang.com. Yes. And it, your blog kind of features all different kinds of writing, you know, kind of long form, journal, po- lo- uh, longer poetry. And then you also do, do you post any of your haikus on your blog or is that just strictly Facebook? I don't actually. I don't. Oh man. So if you're not friends with Ling Ling, you are not going to have any of the joy of her like pretty much daily haikus. Yeah. <laughs> so why did you, you know, why did you start writing and sharing? Oh, um, you know, I realized when I was little, it, it was um, something all of my friends did. We we had Zangas in MySpace. Oh my God, I had a Zanga. Yeah, yeah. I know. I had, yeah, I had so many Zangas in my day. And I, I just remember loving that. And I think it was really important for me to have that outlet. I, with social media and stuff starting up, I, I didn't, I wasn't like very active until I started the haikus, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was I. I posted a couple haikus when I was in Cleveland, and um, and then I think, oh, I was walking to school, and um, uh, walking to school at Rice, and I was trying to eat dumplings on the way because it was um, I had orchestra and I was starving. Uh-huh. And um, there was all this like exhaust from the cars that were passing by. So I wrote a haiku about smog covered dumplings. And um, I had taken a couple classes where haiku featured prominently, which is why I just decided to. I think I took um, mysticism in literature. So I studied Japanese traditional haiku and then. I took a beat lit class also. So mm. like, you know, Kerouac, Ginsburg, all those yeah. kids and their kind of American take on the haiku. So I just, I had a lot of them on my mind all the time. And they're really f- just so fun. Some of the ones that I've read by Basho are just like ridiculous because it'll be something so gorgeous. Like the moon is beautiful tonight. My wife is mad at me. Like the the turn is just um so hilariously um you know like the the nature and the domestic and um I just I like the mischief that I I saw in a lot of the traditional haikus. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought it'd be fun. And then a, f- a few year I think a couple years later um, my roommate at Aspen and she was, she's one of my best friends still now. She, um, she and her roommate, uh, lived in Chicago while I was at Rice and they got really drunk one night and were Facebook stalking me <laughs> and found them. And I get this like really long voicemail the next day of them being drunk, just being like, why did you stop? <laughs> so, so I started writing them daily for her, but just posting them on Facebook. And uh-huh. that's how it started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to, I want to read a couple. Um, okay. Because I think they're great. Um, a lot of people meditate. I listen to Beyonce. Same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one's true. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. Um, and then, I mean, the, the, I think the really cool thing is that when you post, they're, they're just these little like 
pearls, you know? They are Aww. they perfectly encapsulate an experience. And it's not, you know, it's not some long rant. It's it's they they truly get to the S I I mean, as an outsider, you know, just reading them on Facebook and like fa- like Facebook stalking you essentially, you know, like Yeah. Like that's that's what they feel like, you know. So mm-hmm. uh another one that uh seems particularly relevant right now is only when you still your mind's waters will you get a clear reflection that reminds me of john cage actually oh yeah because he had the um uh music and i'm paraphrasing right now but uh and he was he was um he was either quoting or he was just talking about an experience he had with a philosopher thinker that the purpose of music is to sober and quiet the mind. Wow. Yeah, it's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) He probably didn't go clubbing. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to see Kate in a club, though. That would be amazing. (laughs) So anyway, but uh, let me let me read a couple more haikus. Where's the Disney song? Someday my career will come because I earned it. I read that a couple of weeks ago and I was just like, oh my God, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, you have daughters. I yeah. know. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there's this book I just um, found, um, which is kind of like uh, new fairy tales for um, girls. If you, you know, for when your girls are a little older, um, it's like um, bedtime stories, mm-hmm. um, but about the lives of 100 extraordinary women who actually existed yes. and they're illustrated by female artists and it's um i don't know it's it's really cool um so i'm going to get that for my niece obviously so yeah. yeah yeah i would yeah i i need that i definitely need that because we've been you know we've been uh my my wife kind of grew up on uh live action disney movies you know so mm-hmm. we're talking about like um the gnome mobile and uh what was another well th- this one wasn't particularly a disney movie but like chitty chitty bang bang you know oh. and mm-hmm. violet my oldest daughter she loves these movies but you mm-hmm. know i i never really grew up on this stuff and Mm-hmm. I've just been watching them like for the first time, having no uh, nostalgia related to it the way my wife does. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching these things and I'm like, oh, my God, this is so sexist. Like, yeah. should we really be showing this to her? Like, she's going <laughs> to yeah. think this is how the world is. And this was, you know, how the world was in 1960 or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just it's just kind of messed up. That kind of brings me to one of your one of your latest blog posts where um i think you said uh, maybe it was in the title or maybe it was part of the tag for it or something that the future is female oh yeah yeah so can you talk about that a little sure um so that's like i have a tank top that says the future is female and um a lot of um I, you know it's like a, a catchphrase now especially mm-hmm. with the clinton campaign and stuff um but i realized that um a lot of people um you know mostly males especially don't really know what that means and it it can be alienating which is unfortunate um and 
yet another, you know, it's like because of the patriarchy, they're going to immediately feel excluded or something. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, um, I, rem- I mean, I titled my blog post originally The Future is Female, um, but I changed it to My Future as Female because mm-hmm. it is kind of more about like my experiences of being a female and of um, of how that's evolving as I get older because you know I grew up on all of that Disney stuff which I still love and look at nostalgically but um, you know in the last couple months especially I've had to think really hard about who I am and um, uh, you know it's it's not like necessarily just blaming or anything but it's made me realize that a lot of um a lot of the heartbreak in my life um has been caused by a a lot of these societal um, constructs that I am just now really becoming aware of Mm -hmm. it's a subject I like to talk about because and it wasn't just because I became a father of girls. Yeah. <laughs> it like, you know, you, you, you saw that a lot. Like, uh, um, I can't remember when it happened, but just recently, you know, uh, all these politicians were like, oh, I'm the father of a, I'm father of two girls and I'm the husband of a wife. And it was like, oh who, who cares? Like <laughs> yeah. you're, you, how you define yourself in relationship to women doesn't make a damn bit of difference. Like you should just no. be supportive regardless, you know? Yeah. And, um, but it's, it's, it's a thing that I kind of like to explore in, in music is how sexism has or sexism or like, uh, just blatant discrimination has, has come into has come into music because I like, you know, in music, I think we like to think that music is kind of a safe haven because, mm-hmm. you know, the vast majority of musicians are liberal and, you know, it's, uh, it's, cre- it, it's a, it's an art form. It's creative. So it tends to attract people with open minds, but in actuality, music is not as open as I think we think it is. No, not at all. I mean, I can count, um, I think on one hand, the number of female composers I've played, mm-hmm. you know, um, first of all. And I I mean, I'm excited. If I'm ever in positions of power, I'm, you know, it's not like I'm going to not play male works anymore, but I'm really excited to hear that. And part of that is just knowing how many women's voices were stifled. You know, right. exactly. Music composition has been around forever, but these women did not get a chance to even imagine writing music or they were so busy doing all the other shit that they had to do because their husbands were writing, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so it's. We've lost so many amazing, like I read any, any books and, uh, you know, a- anything from older time periods. And I'm just like amazed that these women were able to do that considering the time periods they were living in. Right. Yeah. 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 So. They were, they were writing music and raising the children and, you know, doing, doing everything else. I mean, it's, it's amazing yes. that, that it, it, it even happened. Yeah. Or they decided not to, you know, some people decided not to have children. 
so that they could um, write novels and things like that. And then you're completely ostracized from your Mm -hmm. society. No one understands that. You know, even today, people get a little like, oh, you're not going to have kids or... Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that you're not. You're not. I mean, you're a woman. That's what you do, right? Yeah. Like, like you don't have a boyfriend, and you don't want a boyfriend, um, because the sole purpose we're having a conversation as friends is to discuss boys. You know. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, um, it's stressful. It's um, and it's just kind of indoctrinated into being a girl that um, males are so much a part of your life and your thought. So. The one of the female composers you can count on on your one hand as having performed yes. <laughs> is uh, one we're going to listen to is uh, Shi Hui Chen, yes. and <clears throat> I have spoken about Shi Hui at length on the on the podcast because yeah. <laughs> she she has facts factored so heavily into my life. You know, she was my she, I only studied with her for. Uh, a year and they were it was a semester at the very beginning and a semester close to the end of my time at Rice so we didn't have um, a solid year together just because she was traveling and she was traveling because she was going to uh, going on this trip to do the uh, to do the research that resulted in the piece that we're going one of the pieces that we're going to listen to but um, Mm -hmm. like I have my own opinions of Shihui as you know being mm-hmm. my teacher and then more recently being more of a mentor and and a friend and mm-hmm. I'm just curious mm-hmm. uh what you know what your experience with Shihui was like as f- for the performer composer dynamic okay yeah um I guess for um well I just feel like we get along really well which I um was surprised by um because I thought she would be extremely demanding um mm-hmm. just because it's like it's a piece that's so important to her and I played the quartet um before I played this solo version um but she was for the most part really happy with it um even though I wasn't sure how I was sounding on it and um it was you know I know you know it was a very turbulent year, and I remember the time when I was playing this piece was especially um, really like that. The day of the concert was really rocky. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I'm so glad that she seemed happy with it, and um, in general, um, she has just been so generous because whenever there is anything new and exciting, and especially um, you know she's brought so many um, so much like Chinese and Taiwanese culture. Um, to our campus in terms mm-hmm. of art and music. And whenever something like that is happening, she makes sure that I know about it and she makes sure that I have tickets if I want them. Mm. And it's, you know, one of the things that she and um, Kurt Stallman, uh, they um, invited me to see was this zitherist who um, I ended up, I wrote um, an ode to her um, which I posted on my blog a couple weeks ago, probably, because I I still can't stop thinking about that instrument and seeing these um, people. I remember for the first time, it was a few years ago when she brought these people over, and it was the first time that I felt really far away from my own instrument. I was like, mm. oh, this hunk of wood made by a white dude in you know France or Italy like thousands of years ago, and... Um, you know, 
Uh, and then like looking in the mirror was even difficult after seeing just like classic Asian beauties mm-hmm. <laughs> playing classic Asian instruments. And it made me feel at, um, at such a distance from a culture that I really wanted more connection to. And, um, and she kept bringing them back and I had the opportunity to listen to music that really resonated with me, instruments that I recognized um, more often. And I am so thankful for, for that knowledge of that part of myself and for all the things I've learned because of, you know, her being able to bring them over. You know, I just feel yeah. like she just gets shit done. So yeah. If, if you can say one thing about Shihui, she gets shit done. Yeah, she does. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And I just, I like her. She's, she's like unfussy. She's direct. And she's, um, I don't know. She's, she has a lot of qualities that I wish I had more of that I see, you know, similar to like my mom and stuff. There's mm-hmm. a fearlessness where I feel like I, I tend to be nice and cautious and, you know, it's yeah it's something to aspire to i remember hearing the per- premiere of this work while i was at rice when did you first hear oh, it no, and decided you, you wanted to play it um well i she asked us to do the quartet um uh-huh. for something and okay. it was um that was really cool it was i think last year and then i was supposed to do another piece um but it it was like this oboe quartet and it was just not going to happen because we um, couldn't find an oboist until like the week up and it was extremely difficult music. Um, so we, and um, I think, I, yeah, I, well, I, I played this actually a couple times. So I ended up playing it that time and that's the performance um, that I gave you. But mm-hmm. before that I played it at this exhibit Um um, because um, they they were doing a Taiwanese exhibit at the Museum of Fine Arts, and as part of Decamera, um, which I've been a young artist in, um, I, I played that at the exhibit in front of this gigantic picture of the Great Wall of China. <laughs> oh wow! So yeah. this the piece is called "Returning Souls: Four Short Pieces on Three Formosan." Um, is it Amis or Ami? Um, Ami, I think. Am, Ami Legends. Ami Zhu, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, the four parts are, the first part is Introduction, Sun, the Glowing Maiden, then Legend 1, the Great Flood, the Descending Shaman, then Legend 2, Headhunting, the Ascending Stars, and then finally Legend 3, the Glowing Maiden, Returning Souls. And the the kind of story... I mean, this was this piece came about due to her working with a filmmaker in Mm -hmm. Taiwan, and he was uh, the film was exploring kind of um, Aboriginal Taiwanese people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, it was I I definitely I'm not going to go into it uh, because it's it's pretty long story, Um, but uh, (laughs) I definitely encourage everyone to go check out the you know kind of the story behind this piece, and you can find that on um, Shuhei Chen and Kurt Stallman have a joint website, and it's called Trigon Music T R I G O N TrigonMusic.com. So we're going to listen to uh, your performance of this, and this was when was this uh, recorded? Um, this was, I think, January. 
Okay, so still uh, in still this year, pretty yes. recent. Okay, so this is Ling Ling Huang playing Returning Souls, four short pieces on three Formosan Ami Legends by Shihui Chen. <laughs> Thank you. 
Finally, how did you come to music as something that you decided you wanted to pursue for your life? When did you make that choice that music is going to be my life? Oh, 
Um, I, I guess I still haven't made that choice, to be oh, honest. Oh, all right. You know, I had my last lesson with Mr. Cantor, my teacher of 12 years at this point, and <laughs> he was like, you know what, Ling Ling, some people come in here and they're like, I want to be a concertmaster, I want to be in a quartet, like all these things, and he's like, the path for you is still unclear, and that's good, <laughs> because the path can be a trap. Um, mm. And I think for me, it's like I'm happy anywhere, and I, I'm a little too go with the flow a lot of the time. But what I do know is what I don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, or I know what I don't love. I know when I'm in flow, I guess. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I don't really know. Um, I guess. I started when I was four, you know, my parents started me on ballet, piano and violin because I was going to do one of those things. Um, And I quit ballet immediately for cheerleading. (laughs) And um, I don't know. I just um, I it it was always fine. It was something that I was, you know, better at at least than, you know, a lot of people at my public school. And um, when I was 12, I I made like musical decisions in Vuitton Concerto and I thought that was the coolest thing ever that mm-hmm. you could be expressive and then I went to camp the next year and and then college early and um you know I love music so much and I really love performing I love listening to it um but there are things that I love equally and the thing that I'm r- the most passionate about I think is um like my my whole thing always is trying to figure out how I can help people as like mm-hmm. cheesy as that sounds um things that really bother me are like homelessness or you know racism gender issues um those are the things that make me feel a lot of pain and trying to reconcile playing music with that is very difficult yeah. all the time i took like sociology classes and i took you know I, I took a lot of different literature classes, including like African-American literature and stuff, because I just I, I want to know about other cultures. I want to know how to help. And it's it's hard to believe that, you know, people need music as much as they need food. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I've done a few things where we go from rice to perform in homeless shelters around the area. And um, I've, you know, I'm I'm really putting that to the test and seeing how much music can really help. And, um, you know, whatever I choose to do in music, I'm always going to look for ways to unite um, that aspect. You know, that's to be honest, that's my dream. My my dad Mm -hmm. recently was like, I know it's so hard with violin. It's so competitive and it's your dream. And I was like, you know what? That's not my dream. Like, you asked me what I wanted to be when I was five, and I told you I wanted my own orphanage. And I was like, that Aww. was my dream, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, and that's something, now that I'm out of school, I've had some space of a couple months to really think about. And so it's, it's you know, I have no prospects of any kind. So <laughs> why not, you know? <laughs> like, I don't have jobs. I don't have... um uh, anywhere to be i think it's that was the time to figure out how i can it's freeing in a way that stuff yeah it's very freeing yeah yeah so i don't know okay good <laughs> yeah. that's a, that's a great answer actually okay good i'm sorry 
if it was supposed to be more like, I just love music. <laughs> no, because I get that answer all the time. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much more interesting to hear something else. <laughs> yeah. And I hope it's apparent, you know, from every from my playing and from my speaking that I do love music so much. Yeah. I just, um, yeah, what I love most is people. And music is just a great vehicle to be authentic with people and yeah, how, however I can serve people's needs is the best that okay. I can do. That's great. So to end with, I want to read uh, some more of your haikus because uh, obviously I think they're awesome. So uh, you pick a couple and I'll pick a couple and we'll see, uh, we'll see which way we go on, on your <laughs> <Yeah>. haikus. <laughs> okay. Um, you go first. Well... I just, you know, from my recent experiences of, um, I'm all about like trying to help my fellow ladies out there. So here's an advice haiku, which is when a boy says that he has changed, it's time for you to change your number. (laughs) That's a good one. All right. More in the, uh, my choice would also fit into the same, uh, the same kind of like advice for women, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's ladies on campus. If I can see you farting, your jeans are too tight. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. One more from you. One more from me. Okay. Still advice. Remember what is authentic for someone else may not be for you. And then my last one is going to be, I do not love her because she is a her, but because she is her. That one's really beautiful. Oh, thanks. So, Ling Ling, thank you so much for... Sorry, let me do that again. (laughs) Got got a little choked up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ling Ling, thank you so much for doing this. It It was great to catch up again and hear and... Um, hear what you've been doing recently in music and writing and everything. And I, you know, it seems like you are at a place where you can kind of go anywhere right now. And I'm really excited to see what that is for you. Yeah, I am too. Thanks. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.